pray. God, I pray that as we just look into your word and, and try to understand more of who you are, God, I pray that we would have clarity today and we would have encouragement. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. We are wrapping up talking about I want to believe, but and today what we're going to look at is I want to believe, but God doesn't seem to care. That, that for some people, this seems to be the, the biggest blocker of them all. That, that it blocks, it's this faith-blocking service. I just want to believe, but, but God doesn't seem to care. And if I'm going to believe in God, I need to know that God cares. So we've looked at several different things so far. We've looked at this idea of, I want to believe, but God let me down. We all know what that's like, and we've felt that, and we've experienced that, and, and we've prayed things, and we've asked him to do, and, and, and he didn't do what we, we know what it's like to be disappointed, to be let down by God. That we've looked at that. We've looked at, I, I want to believe, but I just can't feel God's presence. And, and if I'm going to believe in God, I, I need to be able to feel him. And, and that we take this approach and we go, hey, I, if, if I can feel him, then I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust. But if I can't feel, then if I can't feel, then it, because see, we know it's like to feel things. We've been stirred emotionally with it. And, and so we want to feel God's presence. And sometimes we go, hey, I felt it at one time. And now I could believe then, but now I'm not feeling it now, and now I, I'm having trouble believing again because I need to feel it now. Last week we looked at, I, I want to believe, but God's rules are too, and, and you can fill in the blank. We use the word boring, but you could say too archaic, too strict, too harsh, too outdated, whatever you want. But, but go, I want to believe, but, and it's these rules. We have such a hard time with these rules. So we, we, we can look at some of the problems with religion, and religion, it's full of rules, and God's not really after religion, and we looked at that last week, because see, religion has these problems. One of the problems with, with religion is that it takes and it goes, hey, I'm going to fixate on the external, and, and so we do, we get fixated on these, and so what we do is we just keep looking, and hey, what is it that we need to do so other people can look and go, oh, you're not so bad after all, and, and we just take care of the outside, and we don't work on the inside. That's what religion teaches us to do. That when we look at religion, we know that there's some problems because it, it fabricates pride in, in religious people. And the problem with that is that pride is a sin. And so here we are where we're sinning, trying to be religious and go, that's a problem with religion. That, that religion, it focuses on can't and don't. And so we get so caught up in this going, I don't want to be part of something that's all about can't and don't and can't and don't. That these are some of the problems with religion. But yet when we look at the rules, God's rules that he's laid out, that it's through looking at these rules that we go, okay, there's some insights that we need to understand. There's some things about these rules that begin to make sense. That, that it's through the rules that we realize that there's nothing we can do. We cannot be religious enough to have a right standing with God. That we just can't keep up. We can't accomplish and be and do everything that's being asked of us by God. And so we look at it and go, okay, we can't live up to the law. That One of the things that we get this insight from the rules is the rules show us we have a need for a Savior. We have a need for a Redeemer. We have a need for someone, for something, to do something for us that we can't do on our own. When we look at these insights of the rules... That another thing that we see is we see that it's only, 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 only through what Jesus did for us 
that we can have a right standing with God. And the only way we know this is because when we take a deep dive and try to understand the rules. I shared this thought with you. That when it comes to rules, when we have rules and we have the minus relationship, what that equals is it equals rebellion. And when we sit there and we try to make the point of entry into God about all the rules and there's no relationship, it's going to lead to rebellion. But when there is rules plus relationship, when we get to see that there is this God that created us and he created us to have a relationship with us, he wants to be connected. With, when we see it this way, what that equals is that equals respect. And we get to see that there's a place for the rules, but only when there is a relationship. Do the rules lead us to a better place? And so today as we look at, I want to believe, but God doesn't seem to care. This is another one of those that I think everybody in the room can relate to. That wherever you've been on your faith journey, maybe you're going, I, I don't even have faith. I, I'm, I'm here, I'm just kind of curious, I'm just kind of looking, I'm exploring or maybe you're here and you're going, you know what, I used to have faith and I feel like something's missing in my life. And so I'm, I'm coming to church and I'm looking, is, am I really missing something? Maybe you're here and you're like going, I, I do, I, I, I know what this is like. I've, I've experienced this, that, that God doesn't seem to care, but, but I've been able to get through this. And I think every one of us can relate to this. As we look at the ways that we relate, some, some of the ways that we relate, it's through some very difficult times. That maybe, maybe a marriage collapsed. And that marriage that collapsed, you're going, I, I prayed. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I asked God, God, will you heal? Will you fit? I, I went to Christian counseling. We went to Christian counseling and we worked and we worked and we worked. And it still collapsed. And you're going, it, it just doesn't seem like God cares. We, we know what that's like. Maybe that you've had your possessions, you've been cheated out of some personal property or, or you've lost your life savings and, and it just seems like somebody swindled you out of you know, like going, hey, if God cared that, that he would have protected that, that would have never have taken place. And so we look and we go, I, I, I want to believe, but it seems like God doesn't care. When you have a newborn and you're expecting this, this joy of a child to come into your life and, and you're just praying for health and yet when this child comes, this child comes with some defects and you're going, there's some health issues and it goes, this doesn't seem, God, do, do you care? Why, 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 why would you do this? It just doesn't seem like you care when we lose somebody that we love. And, and there's no justifiable way of why we had to lose them. That circumstance should have never have happened. I want to believe, but God doesn't seem to care. So we all can fill in some blanks as we've gone through life and go, I want to believe God. God, I want to believe you, but, but I need to know that you care because it seems like you don't care. And we know because of our circumstances where we have felt like God doesn't care. But you see, there are some false beliefs 
these pseudo-beliefs that, that we have about what it means for God to care. That, that we have these beliefs and we hold on to them and we just believe that if God cared, my life would be easier. My, my life would not be so hard. My life would not be so difficult if God cared. That, that's one of the things that we, we believe. We falsely believe this, but, but we believe it. Another thing we falsely believe is, is that if God cared, my problems would disappear. That if God cared, he'd come in and all the problems would just be removed. They would just be gone. They would be no mas finis, done. But that is another false belief about a God who cares. Another false belief that we have is my relationships wouldn't be so complicated if God cared. That if God cared, he'd come in, he'd fix all it, and these, these were, they, would just, they just wouldn't be so complicated. And this is another false belief. Listen, our ever-caring God, he, he promises us a couple of things. That, that he promises us his presence, and we've looked at that a couple weeks ago. That, that here is a God, that he is, but we not, might not feel it, but he's present, he's there. We've looked at this. Even looked at how with the Israelites early on, Old Testament, that he was, okay, by day, here I am, pillar of, fire, pillar of cloud, uh, day, uh, night, a uh, pillar of fire, and you get to know, you get to see that I'm here because they couldn't feel it all the time. They're going, I'm just going to show you, baby steps, yes, I am present. He doesn't do that anymore, but he is always present. It's one of the things he promises us. Another thing that he promises us is his peace, that our ever-caring God promises us his presence and his peace. And you might be going, but I don't, I, don't feel, I don't feel God's peace. And so is that another area that God's letting me down? Well, let me tell you something that I see that keeps people from recognizing the peace of God in their life more so than anything else. If you're a believer and you're going, I just, I'm, I'm not feeling this peace of God. I think one of the things that, that contributes most to a believer, not recognizing, seeing, sensing the peace of God is worry. It's worry. And, and, and we consume ourselves with worry and, and when we start feeding on it. We get so consumed with this that we don't get to see God offering us his peace if we'll just turn from the worry and turn to him and experience peace. Well, as we look at this idea this morning, that I want to believe, but God doesn't seem to care. There's two big thoughts I want us to unpack and want us to look at. When it seems like God doesn't care. These two things, we're just going to unpack this, look at this, and try to understand. When it seems like God doesn't care, there, there's some things that we need to know. And this first one is he has a redeeming purpose for your pain. When it seems like God doesn't care, he has a redeeming purpose for your pain. That, that God is going to test us at times. And what he's going to test us with is he's going to test our trust. Do you trust me? He's going to test us with his trust. And he's going to go, I need to know, do you trust me? And we're either going to pass or we're going to fail. 
But here's one thing I do know. There is going to be a day that every believer, there's going to be a day where every Christ follower, that they are going to have all of their questions resolved about God. That, that, that when we leave this place and we enter into eternity, we will have all of our questions resolved. All the questions of whatever it is we were going through and had to do and had to endure, they will be resolved. But I think some of them can be resolved while we're still here. And so this first one, when it seems like God doesn't care, he has a redeeming purpose for your pain. From cancer to car trouble, he has a redeeming purpose for your pain. There is a guy in our Old Testament. And the Old Testament is this old promise, this time before Christ came. It's the first part of our Bible. And, and there, there was a guy, his name is Job. And, and, and Job, when we read Job, that this book, this is actually the oldest book, the oldest contribution of the 66 books that make up our Bible. This is the oldest writing that is in our Bible. Now, some of you guys are going, but wait, wait a second, isn't Genesis, it doesn't that... Genesis covers things that were older, that were before Job, but Job is actually the first book that was actually written that is in our Bible. And Job, you might be somebody that you're going, hey, I, I've not done church very much, I'm not very familiar with the Bible, but a lot of people know about this guy, Job. But what we know is we go, hey, here's a guy that had to go through a lot of suffering. Here's a guy that went through a lot of pain, a lot of hardship. And this guy, Job, He's somebody that his friends turned on him and said, Job, the reason you're going through all of this pain, all of this loss, it's because you're not being faithful to God. You've got sin in your life that you've not confessed to your Heavenly Father. And until you confess this, you're going to be dealing with all of this hardship. His wife, she, she, she nagged on him all the time. You just need to curse God and die. Just get over this. God, God has let you down. Just curse him. Just die. Just, just move on from God. That, that he knew what it was like, that, that, that Job, his loss started because of this. Because God was interacting and having a conversation with Satan. Satan was allowed to be in heaven with God. And, and, and he was having this interaction with God. And God had already given Satan permission to go test somebody. And Satan had just hadn't been able to find somebody that, that he could test. And so God's the one that actually offered up Job. He said, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's response was, well, I'm not going to use him because you're going to protect him. It's as if Satan, as he was looking for people that he could test and people that he could tempt, people that he could mess with and get them to turn away from God. The ones that were super faithful, he was going, I can't, I can't, I can't mess with them because God's going to protect them. And, and so God offers up Job and says, you can test Job. But you cannot take his life. But you can test him. So Satan starts by taking the lives of his kids. Boom, all at once. Then he starts by wiping out the source of his wealth, livestock. Boom, it's all gone. And then he starts by messing with his physical health. And this is the place that Job 
finds himself at as he writes and journals what has happened in his life. And so look at with me in Job chapter 10, verse 8. Job said, you formed me, talking to God. You formed me with your hands. You made me. Yet, now, you completely destroy me. The Job hasn't turned his back on God, but he's recognized, why is all this happening to me, God? And it seems like you're the one doing it. He wasn't able to understand that God was allowing, not doing. He was allowing Satan to mess with him. But God was not actually causing this pain, but he has a redeeming purpose for it. Job eventually lost his wife, and I'm not sure if that one was a disappointment once it finally happened, because she was so nagging to him and just wanted him to abandon God. That might have been one that he was like going, hey, that's kind of, okay, go ahead and go, you know, but I, I don't know, but But what I do know is while Job was going through all of this, he was able to trust God. Yes, he questioned at times, but he was able to trust God. In fact, in chapter 19, where he's still in the midst of all of the physical torment and pain and all of the loss and not seeing the redemptive value yet, it was during all of this time that he's even writing and he's saying, I wish there was a way to capture my thoughts, to record them so, so that people would know about what I have gone through. It's in this same chapter later on that he says this in verse 25, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know this. And he's saying, I know this when he hasn't experienced peace from the pain, the peace that comes by having everything fixed. What he found was the kind of peace that said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I know you live. I know you're still there. And when God finally puts an end to Satan being able to torment Job, Job's health comes back. He's blessed with a good marriage. He's blessed with the same amount of kids again. And his wealth doubled. That's what we find when we get to the end. That God has a redeeming purpose for the pain. And the redeeming purpose wasn't a new wife. The redeeming purpose wasn't new kids. The redeeming purpose wasn't double your wealth. The redeeming purpose was... For you to discover that I'm with you, that I care, even when you're going through the difficult things. And you passed the test of Satan testing you. And you proved I am your Lord. You proved your trust in me. In 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. That's after Jesus had risen from the dead. And he says, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Look at this. You must endure this word, many, many trials for a little while. Just, this is just a small period of time. Is how long you're going to have to endure these trials. Some of you guys might go, I've been enduring trials for years. I've been enduring trials for decades. That is a little time compared to eternity. 
And as Peter's writing this, he just finished telling these believers, he's writing to believers, people that are convinced of who Christ is. He just finished writing to them and encouraging them and letting them know, listen, God's chosen you and you've been redeemed because of the work of Jesus on the cross. He's, he's telling this and, and so he tells them after that, so be, so be truly glad of what he's done for you. And then he drops this on them, that there is wonderful joy ahead, even, even though, even though what? Even though you must endure not a few, many trials. But it's just for a little while. It's just for your time here on earth. That, that's it. It's not for eternity. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. You ever wanted to know? Why do I have to go through this? What's the purpose of this pain? What's God up to? Peter had some insight to show that your faith is genuine. Because, see, that's, that's when our faith gets tested, is during the difficult times. And so he's letting them know this before they're even coming. He said, it is being tested. What? Your faith. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And this fire has to get so hot that it burns off and separates these impurities. And he said, it's going to be painful. It's going to, it's going to hurt. You're going to feel it. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through, here it is again, many trials. When your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. The day that, that everybody's going to know. People are going, all the deniers, no, 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 there's no God, there's no Jesus. And when he finally reveals this, on the day of his choosing, because you have remained strong and steadfast through the many trials, because of that, it's going to bring you much praise. It's going to bring you much glory. And it's going to bring you honor. That you strayed true to your heavenly father. That, that your trust in him was still locked in, locked on. I trust you. I don't understand, but I trust you, God. God, I don't understand why, but, but I'm leaning into you. God, will you help see me through? That you are going to be honored on that day. Verse 8. You love him, even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. It's the reward. It's the greatest reward for trust. Trust God. Trust Jesus. What's the reward? We will be saved from the penalty of our sin and into a relationship with God that will last for all of eternity. See, God may not always cause the pain. Sometimes he'll cause it and sometimes he won't. Sometimes God's doing what, what God is up to. Other times the pain is because we're just collateral damage of somebody else's choice, somebody else's thing. And, and, and the pain comes our way even though we did nothing wrong but he will always use the pain if you will let him 
that God has a redeeming purpose for the pain. But we have to let him use it. So when it seems like God doesn't care, a second thought, he is present in your pain. It seems like he is present. You might not believe it. You might not realize it. You might not sense it. But he is present. He is there. In Psalm 46.1, the psalmist wrote this, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. He's always ready. To, he doesn't force his help on. He's always ready. And the help that he will offer might not always be the specific kind of help that we're looking for and asking for. But he is always ready to help. In Lamentations chapter 3, starting in verse 32, though he brings grief, see, because sometimes God brings it. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion because of the greatness of, a, of his unfailing love. For he does not enjoy hurting people, or causing them sorrow. He doesn't enjoy it. There is somebody who does enjoy bringing grief and sorrow and sadness. And that's a very real being, Satan. And he takes great delight and great joy in hurting people and causing sorrow. Sometimes we get so caught up in the pain and the hurt and the loss that we fail to see what is happening on the other side of what God is doing and how God is present in our pain. The Apostle Paul, there were some things that he really wanted us to know about what God was up to and what God was doing that I don't think that we could have gotten there without him sharing this with us. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to start in verse 5, but before we get there, let me just tell you what, what he just finished revealing to them. That he just finished revealing to them that, that he's experienced something that, that people on earth just haven't experienced. And, and as he was saying this, let, let me help you understand what he was saying. Because see, during this biblical time period, they considered there to be three heavens. So let me help you understand these three heavens. That they had a word for heaven that dealt with just the sky that, that we see it. That, that's just kind of our blue sky and, and what we see right there. That was, that was the first heaven. The second heaven for them was beyond that. And at night when you can see stars and other planets, the moon, all of, that's considered the second heaven. And then they had what they referred to as the third heaven, which is what you and I usually refer to when we say heaven. And the third heaven is this abode, this place where God exists and God dwells. He's omnipresent, so he can be present here too. But it is his eternal dwelling place and where we as believers get invited to be. And we will be there if we have faith in Jesus, that we will be there and spend all of eternity in that place. That's the third heaven. And what Paul just finished telling people, he's writing to them and sending this to them. These are believers that, that he had led to them believing in Jesus. So he's writing this to them, and he's telling them, I was caught up in the third heaven. He's letting them know, I, I've been there. And, and when he said this, he said, 
I'm really not sure if it was just a vision that God gave me. And that this vision that was just so clear, it was crystal, and I just know these things, and I know things about heaven that, that humans aren't even allowed to talk about. They're not even allowed to know. But I've seen it. I've experienced it. I don't know if it was a vision or if something happened to me, and, 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 and I, I died, and I just briefly was there, and God sent me back. He, he, I, I don't know which it is. We can read at another place where, where Paul was stoned nearly to death. And, and that stoning is not like weed-based stone. I mean, that, that stoning was these rocks being hurled at him, okay? And, and as these rocks were being hurled at him, this point where he got that some people think that he actually died and then came back to life right there just, just briefly. And he's saying, I don't know. He's saying, I don't know which it is. I just know that I've seen things in this third heaven and so then when we understand that he's just shared that, look at this with me. He says, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. This is kind of one of those, huh, kind of moments, right? You're going, hey, if, if you're going to boast about something, yeah, yeah, boast about that, that you were blessed in such a way that you got to go, and that you got to come, and you get to tell. That, that's what he's, and he says, that's worth boasting about. He, he says, he, he looks at, that is, it is worth boasting, but I, I won't boast about that. That I will boast about my weaknesses. I'm, I'm a prideful guy. And as a prideful guy, I, I have no interest in boasting about my weaknesses. In fact, I, I, I'm very guilty of going, hey, I, I just kind of want to find a way to hide those. I don't want people to know what my weaknesses are. I don't do a very good job of hiding them either. But, but that's what I try to do. I attempt to do. Paul's in this totally opposite place. Follow this with me. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it. Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So I, I don't want my pride to come in and take it. He's very cautious. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, probably not a literal one, but something that bothered him. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. But he couldn't be proud. He couldn't be proud of his conscience. What all he could do on his own? That he begged. He, he pleaded. Maybe, maybe he even bargained with God three different times just trying to get God to remove this thorn, this weakness of his, is what he attempted. Verse 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need. Hey, but God, I, I want you to take away this weakness. I want you to take that, because God, you know what I could do for you if I wasn't dealing with it? And every time he begged and pleaded, I said, no, 
And then what the Spirit of God let him know, my grace is all you need. That, that's what you, and then he turned it up a notch to let him know something else. And that, that, that he got to discover, Paul got to discover this as God revealed this to him. My power works best in weakness. That my power, God's power, it, it works best in, in weakness. That, that, that I just, I come in and, and I come right into who you are and where you're weak. And listen, I, I can overcome. I can do things to you and through you if you'll just be honest and real with your weakness. And my power works best in weakness. And so Paul, look at this. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That he's, he's happy about it. He is at peace with it. I'm glad to boast about my weakness. Verse 10. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That it's only in my weaknesses that God's power comes in and does what only God can do through my weaknesses that Paul learned to take pleasure in the difficult seasons he learned to find joy in the difficult things and this is where we've got to grow in our faith because see we're, we're, we're people when the when the hardships come that we want to know hey why do bad things happen to good people do we want to know this but you see, we aren't good people. That if you were here with us last week, we did a little confessional, and, and, and we all made some confessions in here, and we realized, oh, you're worse, we're sinners, and if you're a sinner, you're not a good person. And so none of us are good. So really, what we should be asking is why do good things happen to bad people? Because at times, God just chooses to bless us. We're bad people. He chooses to bless us. We don't like to think of ourselves as bad people. Maybe you don't think of yourself as a good person. Maybe you just think of yourself as a gooder person. I, I'm not good, but I'm, I'm gooder than they are. You know, and, and maybe you don't use bad grammar like me, but, but you just go, hey, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not bad. I don't want to say I'm bad. I'm, I'm not good yet, but I, isn't there something in between? Can I just be gooder? And, and that's what we do. But see, God blesses at times and it's good things that happen to bad people see we're all sinners none of us are good none of us and this is where we we have to understand about God that that God is not always fair I talked about this with you guys week one that God's not always fair and that we really don't want a fair God anyways we don't what we want is more than fair. We want, yeah, yeah, just, just so it's more than fair. We don't want fair. 
But see, God is always just. And it's not fair. It's not fair that, that Jesus, the Son of God, had to leave heaven and come to earth. It's not fair that, that he had to leave where he was recognized, praised, and worshipped for who he is to come to a place where he was not recognized and given the glory and the praise for who he is. That's not fair that that had to happen. It's not fair that he was rejected. It's not fair that he had to die on our behalf. That wasn't fair. That God is not always fair, but he is always just. And Jesus' death was an undeserved act of justice. Nothing that we could ever do would, could ever deserve that Jesus would die for us. It was an undeserved act of justice for God to justify our sins and make us right with him. God knows what it's like to hurt. It hurt God to have to send his son. It hurt God to see us rebel against him. God knows what it's like to hurt. God knows what pain is like. He knows this. So when we think about these fears that we have in life, the best fear that we can have in life is to fear God. It's to fear Him in the healthiest of ways. That, that we would fear letting God down, that we would fear disappointing Him. That we wouldn't be people, that we would be okay with living aimlessly throughout our life, that, that we just live aimlessly, that, that we should fear living life without knowing God. That's what we should fear. I want to share this thought with you from Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, pastor out of California. There is no growth in your life without change. There's no growth in your life without change and there is no change without loss that first part yeah i get it there's no no growth without change okay and there is no change without loss well that's painful isn't it? and there is no change without loss he went on he said you've got to let go of some old stuff you got to let it go and there is no loss without pain that when we let go it's painful to let it go God's not a heartless God he is a compassionate God and the fact that life on earth is a limited time offer shows God's great compassion because it's a limited time we're just going to live for this very limited this small little time here on earth because God's created us for eternity with eternity in mind and it was his compassion that allows us to live on earth just a short, brief period of time. And it was his compassion of sending Jesus to be just in his action to justify us so that we could be made right with him. This is what God is doing. That yes, God has a redeeming purpose for our pain and that God is present in our pain. That, that we've been on a journey a belief. We've been on this journey of belief of, of these things. How is it that we can believe even when God lets us down? That, that how is it that, that we can believe when, when we don't get a sense and feel God's presence? How is it that, that we can believe when, when God's rules that they're so boring? 
How is it that we can believe when God doesn't seem to care? We've been on this journey together so that we can believe. Some beginning their belief journey. Others restoring their belief journey. And even yet others here going, it's good to be reminded that God has given me plenty of reasons to believe. Let's pray. God, we want to believe. God, and there's so many in this room that, that they do, and, and maybe there's some in here that that is just still a struggle. God, I pray that, that, that your spirit would just work on their hearts and show them that you are the one worth believing in. God, for those of us in this room that, that we do believe, God, I pray that that, that you would mature our faith, that, that we wouldn't have just a, a weak, casual faith, but, but we would have a faith that's strong and a faith that just keeps growing. And that as our faith grows, God, that, that we, we would have a faith so mature, so strong, so locked in on you, that God, that, that we would never stop believing. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen.